People say the Premier League is impossible to predict, but this podcast is here to help. We're working with InfoGold to take a look at the numbers for each and every one of the Premier League fixtures this season. If you're looking to find value in the markets, data can be the key. Welcome to Premier League Insights. Welcome back again to Premier League Insights. This is the podcast that analyses Pinnacle's odds through the InfoGold lens to help find any value that I might be on offer in the betting markets. Jake Osgathorpe is the man with the all-important numbers and he's here with me once again to go through the upcoming fixtures. How are you, Jake? Yeah, very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. Um, just before we get into the, the, the weekend's fixtures, we have got a bit of a, an added bonus for this round of games in the, the extra game to analyse in the form of West Ham versus Liverpool. There was obviously some fixture rescheduling because of the, the Club World Cup. I called it an added bonus. I don't think West Ham fans will feel the, the same way about it. We, we normally look over some numbers for each of these fixtures. I don't think that's too necessary for this one. Pretty simple. West Ham are, are really bad at almost everything. Liverpool are really good at, at pretty much everything. The odds suggest there's only one winner in this. How much hope do, do West Ham have based on the info goal numbers? Not a great deal. Um, yes, yeah, so this is the last sort of... I mean, West Ham fans are looking forward to having a game in hand, obviously looking at the situation that they're in, but this is the last team they want to be playing in when, with the game in hand. And, you know, you look, you're looking at a situation where if they lose quite heavily, they could drop into the, the bottom three on goal difference and it would be a disaster. Um, for West Ham, especially with you know a big game at the weekend coming up, but yeah, we, we're not giving West Ham too much of a chance of, of getting something here. They are, as you've said, one of the worst teams uh, in the league defensively. We've been saying that all season. They're averaging two point one five expected goals against per game, so they're giving up big chances um, on a regular regular basis. And that that four nil win over Bournemouth is starting to look even more like a, a freak result um, as the games tick by. You know that. Leicester last time out, they were absolutely terrible with West Ham. They rightly got um, got thumped in that game. And yeah, you can expect something similar here. Liverpool are just flying at the minute. There's, they still show no sign of stopping. They were slightly fortunate to get past Wolves and get the three points in that game uh, in uh, last time out. But they just somehow keep finding a way to to grind out results and, and, and wins. Um, I think that's the 11th time in, in 23 wins, uh, or 22 wins, sorry, that they've won by one goal, which is... You know the sign of a team that is getting a fair amount of luck on their way to um, you know, to victory. Because uh, you know the, the most recent example I can give you is the Tottenham game where they were one 0 up and Lucelso misses a huge chance in the last game in the last ten minutes to equalise. And those sorts of breaks have been going for Liverpool. But yeah, the way that they're playing right now, the process is is phenomenal. Two point one three expected goals for per game. One point one three against. Yeah, it's no surprise that we make Liverpool really strong favourites, just like the market. We're 67%, the market's 73%, so we're not as strong. But, you know, the 6% there, I definitely wouldn't be saying to anyone to get on, on West Ham or the draw. Um, instead, where we're looking for the value is is actually the both teams to score market. Um, you know, I mentioned West Ham's defensive vulnerabilities, but going forward, they're averaging 1.41 expected goals for per game, which is a mid-table attacking process. So they are capable of, of causing a few problems, and you've shown that in the last few games. They created a couple of decent chances against Leicester, um, besides the penalty, and against Everton as well. They created some good chances. So they can trouble Liverpool, but Liverpool are expected to prevail. We, we're around a 57% chance of both teams to score, um, and the market is... 
at 54%. So you've got a smaller value there. That's how we're looking in this uh, Wednesday night game. Yeah, I mean, just quick look at the 1x2 odds. It's quite a big split there. 1.5 handicap, an over-under of three goals. It tells you all you need to know, really. And I think that's not a good not a good sign for West Ham fans. Right, so we'll move on to the, the weekend's fixtures. And now we've got Liverpool, uh, Leicester versus Chelsea, the first one to get us underway. And it, it should be a cracker at the King Power Stadium. It's a game that, that could have really big impl- implications for the, the potential top four spots. Leicester have stalled slightly since that tough patch over Christmas, but a little bit of deja vu going on because I think it was the West Ham fixture last time around where we were talking about them bouncing back. And again, as you just said, they impressed with a with a 4-1 win there. Been two disappointing results on the bounce for Chelsea, but, but two pretty good performances underneath that. Dominated Arsenal in the XG showed with figures of 3.54 and just 0.56 against. The market for this one is very evenly split, around a 37% chance for each and just under 26% chance to draw. Too close to call for the betters, it seems, but is InfoGoal as evenly split? Um, we aren't far away. We, we, we think that with the home advantage, Leicester should be stronger favourites than what the bookmakers suggest. So, you know, the main value bet from an InfoGoal perspective is to get on Leicester. And like you said, it's a really interesting game, this implications could be huge and if if Leicester go there and get the win then you'd have to say that top four on Champions League football is probably wrapped up as for Chelsea they'd probably win this game and the sites could be set on third place finish again so very big game Um, the two teams have got very similar underlying processes as well which will make this an an entertaining game Leicester like you said they had a little bit of a wobble uh, four defeats in six before the West Ham game Um, albeit two of those came against um, Leicester, uh, Liverpool, Manchester City, and the, another one came against a, a high-flying Southampton team. So give, forgive them a little bit for that. Um, but the, the performance against West Ham was fantastic. They were really good on the night. Obviously, Jamie Vardy picked up an injury. I think he's back now. Um, but I, I was really impressed with Kelechi and Acho on, in that game. I thought he was excellent, holding the ball up, bringing other people into play, showing that they have got a bit of depth there if, if Vardy does get injured. Um, it, you know, Their home form this season has been fantastic. And like you said, Chelsea are just, uh, yeah, they're, they're a funny team at the moment. They're playing really good, really well. They're creating loads of chances. I mean, even Frank Lampard's alluded to it. He called out expected goals after the, uh, I think it was the, the Newcastle game or maybe the Arsenal game as well, saying that they sit rock bottom in terms of um, underperforming expected goals. And he, he, he's sort of right. They're not quite rock bottom, but yeah, they, they, they really need to sharpen up the finishing. 41 goals from 51 expected goals, which... Is um, yeah, that's that's been their main problem all season has been taking the chances. You know, you only have to look at the Newcastle game; they had loads and loads of chances. Two point three seven expected goals before Newcastle scored a ninetieth minute winner, um, and against Arsenal, racking up over three and a half expected goals and only scoring twice. Um, question marks around Kepper as well um, this season. Obviously, conceding twice from chances equating to zero point five six expected goals doesn't bode well. Um, you know, all season long, they've, they've they have conceded more than what we would expect. So, yeah, really interesting case at the moment. Chelsea, their process suggests that they should be third in the table. Um, you know, the performances have been really solid. They just need to start finding a way to put the ball in the net. And Tammy Abraham being out injured is um, is a big blow for them coming into this game. So, very interesting. Two teams that, are, like I said, are very strong in attack, but also show defensive vulnerabilities. We're expecting goals, 63% chance both teams to score, 61% chance of over two and a half. Neither of those though, uh, represent any value in the game from a betting perspective. So, 
like I said, with the home advantage, we're giving Leicester a 40% chance of winning um, and they're about 38% on the market. So there's a small amount of value there in, in a home win. You really have to look at the, the home games that they played this season against the big teams, obviously beating uh, Tottenham and beating Arsenal fairly comfortably. Um, eight wins from 12 home, home games. Yeah, a home win is, is a value playing this. You've had a kind of a period of, of different things being a concern for Chelsea. Previously, it was that they just couldn't stop conceding goals or conceding chances. And they've kind of worked on that a little bit, but now they, they don't seem to be as clinical as they once were. I think one thing to think about moving forward potentially is obviously we've got, we're a month away now from the, the Champions League fixtures. A lot has been made about Chelsea bleeding in youth this season and perhaps a little bit of lack of depth within the squad. No real transfers in January is that something that you could maybe begin to see uh, a concern emerging or something that Chelsea need to be wary of? Um, I, don't, I don't really know. I think I was listening to what he was saying, Frank Lampard, in terms of the process. And uh, he, he, there was, a, there was a, an article on Sky Sports that was highlighting that they're a home and away form and how different they are. Um, and the really interesting thing, thing for me is the home form is, is actually really poor on paper, but Expected goal-wise, it's absolutely fantastic. They've scored 16 goals from 31 expected goals at home. So they've massively underperformed at home, but away from home, they've overperformed. So it's a really tough one with Chelsea as to where they go because I think what they've got is a really good core group of players, young players. Um, they've got two or three players for every single position um, ac- across the field. You know, you're only, Tammy Abraham's out. Yeah, you've got Batshuayi, you've got Olivier Giroud still there for the time being. Um, you've got a host of midfielders that, that can come in and do a job. I think it's just finding the right formula, really, and um, moving forward with with the players that Frank obviously wants, which are the youth, the younger players. Right, so now we'll move on to Bournemouth versus Aston Villa. We just talked about two teams battling for, for one of the top four spots. Now two teams that are desperate to stay out of the bottom three spots. I think, I mean, if anything summed up Bournemouth's season, it was they were looking absolutely awful for four games on the spin without scoring a goal. And then they go and put three past Brighton in what was a scoreline-wise a convincing win, but potentially one that papered over the cracks. If we look at those underlying numbers, it suggests that, that Brighton deserved more. And if Bournemouth keep playing like that, those scorelines aren't going to happen as, as much as they did against Brighton there. They're going to be in real trouble towards the end of the season. With Aston Villa, I said before, I felt like they'd been in 17th all season and then after that, they immediately dropped into the bottom three. Now, after a win against Watford, they're up to 16th. Bit fortunate to get the win. They they, they still need to improve to stay safe for the drop zone. It's it's a massive game for these two. A win, a win for Bournemouth could put them above Villa. The odds suggest they've got a good chance of doing so. What does InfoGoal think? Yeah, we we agree. We agree. And like you said, it's, this is a massive game at the wrong end of the table. Oh yeah, no one saw that Bournemouth result coming, did we? Really, um, not only the result, but the the, the create, creation of the chances is is the huge. This is something that we've not seen from them for a really long time, and you know, they've lost ten of the previous twelve games before that Brighton match, and they've only generated more than one expected goals four times in those twelve matches. So, for them to go and put one point eight six expected goals up against Brighton, it was was really out of left wing. For, for Bournemouth from what we've seen on a regular basis. But it does suggest to me that maybe Eddie Howe's reverted back to what, what he uh, what he knows works, which is all-out attacking football. I mean, we, we did this earlier in the season where we were questioning what sort of tactics Bournemouth were going to take and whether they're playing a more defensive style now or, or 
whether they're going to turn things around and play more attacking. And we're in the exact same situation coming into this game. We don't really know because there's no pattern to what they're doing. Um, there's no like they, they've gone from creating next to nothing in matches to creating some really good chances against Brighton. Albeit they were still fortunate to get the uh, the three points in that game. Um, 18th in the table, Bournemouth. They are exactly where they deserve to be according to Infocom's expected goals table. Um, process has been on the decline for for a long time now. Um, we started the season really well, obviously, and, and and then it slowly got worse. So, yeah, this is a really interesting game, and it's interesting to see how Bournemouth approach it. Whether they do go for the um, the attacking option, and I, th- I personally think that's the best way to beat this Villa team because defensively they are the worst in the league. Um, Dean Smith's side allowing two point three two expected goals against per game this season, which is yeah, it's a staggering number. Really, um, it is by far and away the worst defensive record in the league. <coughs> And um, yeah, quite interestingly, they they've been second best in all eleven of the or all of the last eleven Premier League games on expected goals. So the fact that they've beaten Watford, they've drawn with Brighton, obviously they, they uh, beat Burnley in that run as well, it shows you just how fortunate they have been. Um, so eleven games and they've been second best in all of them according to expected goals, which doesn't give me much confidence coming into this game for for Aston Villa to make it back to back wins. It is a tough one to call. We think there's going to be goals in this one. 59% both teams to score, 58% over two and a half. So we're looking for a, a game similar to the Bournemouth-Brighton game of, of last week. But um, but the main value for us is, is is back in Bournemouth to get the win. We think that they can do um, a back-to-back wins, especially in front of their own fans. Um, we're giving them a 49% chance of doing so, around 47% on the market. It's got a small amount of value there in a home win. But... It's very interesting. Like last, the Brighton game, they were two to one to get the win um, at home against Brighton. Brighton, obviously, down there themselves, they're just they're above Aston Villa on goal difference, and and they Bournemouth eleven to ten to beat Villa here, which you know, on the face of it looks pretty short. But you know, like I've said, we 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 think there's value just purely based on the fact of how poor Aston Villa's underlying numbers are. Crystal Palace versus Sheffield United is our next game. And if, if you look at the league table, I, th- I think anyone kind of from the bottom half upwards could end up going down this season. And judging by underlying underlying process, if you're looking for a, a relegation candidate, then Crystal Palace might be high up on a few people's list. They've been pretty lucky all season. And while the defensive side of things isn't really too bad, it seems like they're really struggling going forward. Their opponents have been one of the standout performers for a lot of people this season. The The process didn't quite match up with the results early on, but as those games have stacked up, Sheffield United have fallen more in line with where they should be in terms of their league position. They have had a tough run of late and, and we'll see this as a chance to get back to winning ways. Is there any value on offer in this one, do you think? Yeah, we, we think there's a, a decent amount of value um, actually in, in various markets for this game. and. Yeah, this is this is a really interesting game. Like you've said, you've got a team, Crystal Palace, who've been in the top half for most of the season, massively overperforming um, against a, a Sheffield United team who rightly sit in the top half, having been really impressive throughout the course um, of the campaign. And yeah, Crystal Palace were rightly beaten by Southampton last time out, and that ended a, a four-match drawing streak um, prior to that. But you know, you look at their results; they've won once in the last. Nine games, ten games um, in the Premier League, and one win in in that sort of time period is is really poor. Um, they have been hard to beat. There were only two defeats, so 
very interesting side. Royalton's got them uh, well drilled. They've been limited in what they can do in terms of personnel, with plenty of injuries, at, at, you know, all over the pitch. So they deserve a little bit of respect for sort of hanging in there. But they've been very fortunate, like I said, over the course of the season. They are eleventh from the table, but they sit sixteenth in our expected goals table. And the main reason for their massive overperformance has come in defence. They've conceded. 28 goals this season, which is not a bad return, really, in 24 matches. But based on the chances that they've conceded, we would have expected them to have conceded or allowed closer to 42 goals. Um, 42.3 expected goals against is how many they've allowed in 24 matches, which is, you know, 14 goal over performance. And that that is the difference between them being in mid-table and being in a relegation zone, really. Um, that average 1.76 expected goals against per game is is um, really poor. and Going forward, you know, we always talk about them creating good chances with like Zahar added Cenk Tosun to the mix and, and uh, Ayu, Jumayu and Max Meyer, but they're one of the worst attacking teams in the league on expected goals. Just 1.04 is, is their average per game. So, yeah, they, they really aren't performing to a very high level in terms of underlying uh, numbers and process, but they're finding a way to grind out results and points. Um, some point in the season, that that's going to come to an end. Um Regression is going to hit them to start, start getting results that they deserve. Um, you could argue that the Southampton game perhaps was one of those where they weren't too far uh, behind Southampton in the ex- expected goals battle, but they did, rightly lost the game, having created very little. Um, Sheffield United are having a little wobble at the minute, aren't they? Is it three defeats in, in five games? Well, it's not really a wobble, is it? They've only lost to Sheffield, uh, Manchester City twice and Liverpool, so... Yeah, that anyone who looks at the raw form table and thinks, wow, Sheffield United are out of form, have another closer look because the teams that they've lost to are actually the two best teams in the league. And in between that, they've beaten West Ham and drawn away at Arsenal. So, yeah, I'm not getting carried away with their current form. Um, the, pro- the performances in those games were actually pretty good as well. Obviously, they were unfortunate. Not- well, they rightly got a point at Arsenal um, based on expected goals. They rightly beat West Ham. Um, they're-, they're a team that... Rightly sitting in the top half, there's nothing more we can say. Really, they've been really impressive, both attack and defence. They've got a really a positive process. Um, the only thing I would say is that we're um, we're unfortunate not to have seen more goals in the in the matches that they've been playing in. So, um, in attack, they've underperformed by 13 goals according to uh, chances that they face, and defence they've overperformed by 12. So, uh, you look at the raw numbers: 25 goals, 23 conceded in 24 matches, and you know. It doesn't screen goals in, in in terms of chances at both ends, but their expected goals is 38 and 35. So what we are seeing is chances at both ends that are rarely taken at both ends. Um, so, you know, that, that's that's a, a small angle for this game is looking at the goals market, just purely based on the fact that um, while both teams have contributed actual goal numbers uh, uh, very little this season, Expected goal numbers are, are fairly high for both teams when, when combined. So um, over two and a half goals is only 39% chance according to the market, uh, which is extremely low. Um, we calculate a 46% chance of over two and a half goals. So there's, there's a decent margin of value there. Um, the same can be said for both teams to score. 47% chance on the market with 51%. Um, and in terms of the 1x2, um, <clears throat> I've got to say, even though Crystal Palace have been um, underperforming over the course of the season. Very surprised to see them second favourites in this game. Um, yeah, the, the market's got Sheffield United at 36% chance of getting the win. The draw is quite high at 32%. Um, 
Infocol's got this pretty much flipped. We, we think Crystal Palace should be favourites, 37% chance of getting the win. Um, 37% chance indicates that we think that Sheffield United are the better of the two teams, but with home advantage, Crystal Palace um, be, become favourites. If it was played on a neutral venue, then Sheffield United would be strong favourites for the game. But um, in terms of value, there's a decent chunk of value there. And back in Crystal Palace, but personally, I quite like both teams to score in this one. Yeah, I must admit, I spend a, a lot of my time looking at betting markets, and this one is just one of the, the weirdest I've seen. I think that if you just said at the start of the season, Sheffield United on the road to anyone would be favourites, I think they'd be quite surprised. And I mean, the the over/unders pitched in at two, which has got to be one of the lowest we've seen on the Premier League. And the fact that the betters are still interested in the under at that number kind of tells you everything you need to know about the the perception of these two teams. Um, I'd be interested to know if we kind of Sheffield United, you said they rightly deserve to be where they are. And we talked about, or we'll talk about Norwich and Aston Villa and kind of struggles for them this season. Do, do you think that kind of setup of, of staying in games, keeping them close is that that's obviously the secret to, to Sheffield United success, but will we see, more of that from championship teams coming up, do you think, in the future? Perhaps, yeah, but I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't just tarnish them with a brush of like being defensive-minded because they've actually opened up and had a go in matches, which is um, nice to see. I just think they've got a really good setup in terms of um, the formation that they play. They're, everyone knows the role. He's not made too many changes either in terms of personnel from the championship to the Premier League. So it's a group of players that are very familiar um, with each other and with what the manager's demanding. Um, and you know they, they were perform- they were the one of the best performers in the championship by country mile last season. So the fact that they've translated that into the Premier League is not a massive surprise. And we've, we're seeing in recent in recent years now that the gap between the championship and the Premier League isn't all that that big. You know, you look at Wolves, who've done who did very similar to or Sheffield United have done very similar to what Wolves have done in terms of um, you know they're battling in the top half straight away. Um, Wolves did it slightly differently, obviously by spending a bit of a bit of cash. But the core group of players was the same. And you look at like you look at what Aston Villa did in the summer, buying 12, 13 players. That's a huge turnover of players to, um, you know, especially in comparison to what Sheffield United have done. I think that sort of camaraderie and that chemistry was is perhaps still missing there. Whereas Sheffield United it is they've literally had the same core group of players for the last four years. Um, you know, you could argue that. At least four or five players in the squad went up from League One to the Championship to the Premier League. So, um, you know, it, that was the same case with Bournemouth when they got promoted. Some of the guys are still there now. You know, Simon Francis, Steve Cook, for example, that, that have been with Bournemouth for a long, long time. Um, I think that helps. And I, I really rate Chris Wilder as a manager. I think he's he's, he's really, really good uh, at what he does in terms of tactically setting his team up to get the best results um, in matches. Uh, just the way they play is really difficult to combat. Um, you know, overlapping centre halves makes up for the the, the one wing back. Um, you know, all of a sudden, you've got a three on two situation when when your team's attacking down the flank. So little nuances like that, I think, are really impressive. Um, you know, what we five games into the second half of the season, I'm a little bit surprised that they've not been found out just yet. Um, in terms of, you usually tend to see teams that get promoted. They usually really explosive in the first half of the season, but in the second half of the season, everyone figures them out. And they've not seen that just yet from Sheffield United. So, um, you know, kudos to to everything that, that they're doing there and Chris Wilder for keeping things fresh and bringing new ideas. Right, and then we'll move on to Liverpool versus Southampton. Obviously mentioned that we're recording this on the, the afternoon of the West Ham-Liverpool game, but I think we can record with a little bit of confidence of a, a Liverpool win. 
we do know now that that Sadio Mane is he's going to miss this game as well due to injury and maybe looking at those um, that hour or 70 minutes whatever it was in that Wolves game that did seem to kind of change the dynamic a little bit of Liverpool's setup he's he's obviously a crucial player I think given the size of their lead in the in the Premier League it doesn't it's not too much cause for concern for the the remainder of the season but perhaps one game it it could impact that unbeaten run that they've got. Um, Southampton themselves, I mean, they've had a drastic turnaround over the last seven games. Five wins, a draw and just one loss in that period. We've mentioned before, they look they look very stable, very well balanced and they they seem to have found a real consistency in their performances and obviously you need to consider that Liverpool are really a level above anyone they've played in those seven games or, or anyone else in the league for that matter and we're going to need to see to see a Southampton side at their best to to cause Liverpool any problems. On the assumption that West Ham haven't already done it, what chance do you give Southampton of going to Anfield and, and ending that Liverpool unbeaten run? Right, 14% is the chance that we're giving Southampton. We've got this priced up very similar to the um, the West Ham game, actually. Uh, we, we're giving them Liverpool a 67% chance of getting a win here, and that, that's purely because Southampton are a much better team than West Ham. Um, especially when you look at the underlying process and obviously the form that they're in at the minute is fantastic. But yeah, this one, like, it's just so hard to say anything negative about what Liverpool are doing. They are absolutely fantastic. And um, me and Mark Taylor wrote an article last week looking at Liverpool's season and, and the, the, a look at the, the numbers and behind behind what they're doing. And one thing that stood out to, to us both was just how impressive they were in terms of X, XG2, which is... Um, expected goals from the perception of the goalkeeper. Um, you know, that in terms of expected goals conceded, they've, they've allowed two, 24 expected goals uh, from on-target attempts. And you know, if when you when we put it in the XG2 model, that 24 expected goals goes down to 13.7. So that tells us that Liverpool's defenders are doing really, really well in terms of narrowing angles, um, getting bodies in the way of the shots. Uh, just making it really difficult for players to get easy shots on goal um, and basically giving Alisson a fairly easy life in the net. Um, that, that, their performance in that, in that category and that metric is, is just off the charts in terms of um, percentage change of XG2, which is what we measured them on. So not only do they <coughs> create loads of when they do, they do a job in making sure that they're low risk rather than um, high probability chances. That comes from everyone, Van Dijk, um, Gomez, even the holding midfielders, Henderson, Wijnaldum, etc. So that's something that was really impressive when we looked at their at their numbers. And that, that's what you've got to deal with, really, is um, a team that, when you do get a chance against them, they do their very best to make it um, a, a really small chance and compare that to some other teams, such as Wolves, for example. Um, Manchester United are a team that, when the when the shots come in, they actually the XG actually increases rather than decreases, um, which is obviously one of the main reasons why Man United are struggling, especially. So, yeah, we can talk about their attack all day long, Salah, Firmino, Mane, but defensively and and the the, the holding midfielders are doing an absolutely sensational job this season in terms of um, you know limiting chances and can see something happening here in this game. Obviously, we saw their clean sheet run come to an end against Wolves, um, and I. I do quite fancy Southampton to get on the score sheet here. The, the Saints are a team that have been really impressive in attack all season long. Uh, 1.61 expected goals four per game is, is what they've averaged all season. Um, they've only scored 31 times from chances equating to 39 expected goals. So they've been 
unfortunate not to score more goals. And obviously, we we spoke about it a couple of weeks ago. The importance of Danny Ings. He's the the only guy that seems to be getting on the score sheet in terms of a, you know attacking players. So he's going back to his old stomping ground, and I'm sure he'll want to make a mark on this um, in this game. But yeah, Southampton are arguably the the most informed team bar Liverpool coming into this game. So we've got two four teams meeting. Southampton sits seventh in our expected goals table. Um, obviously, Liverpool, they're going to win the title. They're going to win the title. That is just inevitable now. I think we, on our last uh, run of the model, we had them at 99.5% chance of winning the title. So, pretty much done and dusted, barring a miracle. Um, yeah, the, we're expecting Liverpool to get the win, the 67% chance of doing so. But, like I said, the main value play uh, from, from an info perspective is both teams to score. I think Southampton have got enough going forward um, to cause Liverpool some problems. The high press is going to be interesting as well. It's two teams that like to play a high press. Um, I watched Southampton against Tottenham and it was a crazy press in the FA Cup. Um, everyone was going around like headless chickens and obviously Liverpool have the quality to pick them apart. But you never know, Southampton might pick themselves a, a couple of goals up using the high press. So it won't be an easy game for Liverpool this. Uh, and if you remember in the reverse fixture at St Mary's, Southampton actually won the XG battle quite comfortably, but lost the game. So, you know, maybe an angle there um, for Southampton to cause more problems for Liverpool. So both teams score with 55%, 53% on the market, um, small amount of value in that. And just on Liverpool for a second, kind of what we've seen this season, I mean, obviously people at Pinnacle involved in kind of, or, or have contacts within the analytics community. There's a lot of discussion that goes around. I'm sure the, the same applies to Infogol. Was there, was there anyone aware of, or you yourself that could, foresee what what's come from Liverpool and just how good they've been I mean it's easy to kind of look back with hindsight and in to kind of like the the Salah the Salah Mane bringing in obviously Van Dijk people like Trent is a little bit harder to predict but we know Allison's like an elite keeper did were you aware of anyone that sort of sort of predicted this this air of dominance or how good this Liverpool team could be um no no um and that is purely because Manchester City have been performing at a, a ridiculous level for three years. Obviously, Liverpool's levels increased as, as the years have gone by under Jurgen Klopp. But you know, even this season, in terms of expected goals process, they are still miles behind Manchester City. Um, in our expected goals table, they are second, Manchester City are first. Um, Process-wise, Manchester City are on average 0.72 expected goals better off than Liverpool. Um that's per game. So, you know, Manchester City is still posting staggering numbers. And, you know, the, the funny thing is, obviously Manchester City that had the 100-point season and the process was excellent. Then last season where they had, uh, was it 99, 98 points, they were, the process was even better according to expected goals. And this season, the process is even better than last season. So Manchester City have continued to improve. They've just had bad breaks and, and, and bad luck in this game, uh, in this season. And obviously Liverpool have had the opposite. They've had really, um, you know, they've had positive variance in their favour when it comes to certain certain games and, and moments in games and chances in games. So, um, yeah, this level of dominance is not something that I don't think anyone saw coming. Twenty two wins in twenty three games with one draw is is you know it's a staggering number. Um, oh, I'm just looking forward to seeing what the the odds are going to be for next season's title. Really, given what we've seen so far, and um, you know, whether, see whether Liverpool asked favourites to win next season's title, which I would be surprised if they are because Manchester City are performing at such an incredible level as well. Right, now we'll move on to Newcastle versus Norwich. and This is a, a great example, I think, of how influential luck can be in terms of where a team ends up 
at the end of a season. We've got Newcastle with 13 points clear of Norwich, Norwich and with a few more wins, they could be clear of any kind of threat of relegation. However, looking at the numbers, Newcastle have the worst attacking process of any team in the league by quite some way, and they're not very good at the back either. They're unbeaten in their last three games against Wolves, Chelsea and Everton, which looks great, but the performances will still be worrying. You said about Chelsea kind of dominating them and and Newcastle popping up with a late winner. Obviously, Everton, I think it was 2-0 with like 90 minutes gone or something ridiculous. Got it back to 2-2. There you go. Uh, Norwich, meanwhile, I mean, they need that kind of luck to to turn things around this season and get themselves out of trouble. They had that win against Bournemouth. That was massive. It could prove to be crucial. You never know. And if they'd hung on for that point against Tottenham, which based on the numbers they, they probably did deserve, then they might have had reason to be more optimistic. But I think a win here that it gets it gets results going. Maybe it could close the the gap and and safety looks a little bit more likely. But obviously Newcastle have got home field advantage, and despite some really poor performances and, and massive slices of luck, they are still favourites for this one. Is there any value in taking Norwich here to to keep that survival bit alive? Yes, for sure. Um, there's value in in backing against Newcastle, so Norwich or the draw. Um, yeah, we think Newcastle are too short here, and like you said, that that is. Basically, because Newcastle are really, really bad when it comes to the underlying metrics, they they sit rock bottom of our expected goals table. Um, you rightly pointed out that going forward, they are the worst attacking team in the league. Um, they're actually averaging less than one expected goal per game, which is, is you know, that's some feat. Um, and defensively, they're averaging over two expected goals per game. So, yeah, they're they're a, they're a team that are performing at a level um, of a team we would expect to get relegated. Really, so the fact that they are Seven points clear of the drop zone um, is is a minor miracle, really, based on what we've seen so far this season. Their performances, as you mentioned, against all of Wolves, Chelsea, Everton, um, they've been second best in every single one of them. They've conceded over two expected goals in all um, all three of those games and, and created, well, next to nothing, really. Both goals against Everton um, were from set pieces. Both uh, the goal against Chelsea was a was was from a, a cross as well. Seems to be where they're getting the joy at the minute. Um, yeah, they're they're a team that are just they're really really funny team to judge Newcastle because against the better teams this season they've actually performed pretty well. Um, if you remember at the start of the season they had a really tough run of fixtures to get them underway and they, they performed. You know they, they picked up a, a win against Manchester United, a win against Tottenham. Um, they obviously got they got a draw against Wolves as well. And they're currently in, in a really tough run of fixtures as well. They played Manchester United, they played Everton, they played Leicester, Wolves, Chelsea, Everton. That's the last six matches. So they're playing teams that all sit in the top eight of our expected goals table. Um, and, you know, th- those six games, they've come away with five points, which on paper is a really good return. But as you've said, in terms of performances, they've been second best in every single one by a country mile. Um, and at some point, you know, they're... they're Regression is going to hit them, and they're going to start getting the um, the results that the performances do deserve. Um, yeah, they, they, they've they've been hit by injuries as well. We'll give them that. Obviously, St. Maximan has just come back into the fold after an injury. Um, they've signed a couple of players. Obviously, Nabil Bentaleb's been signed in from Schalke. He could be an interesting player. He scored quite a few goals in the Bundesliga last season for Schalke um, from midfield. So they're adding to the squad, but if they carry on playing the way they are, I would not be surprised if they do get dragged into a relegation uh, relegation dogfight. Like I said, only seven points clear of the drop zone at the minute. Um, Bournemouth are playing 
West Ham this weekend. Uh, no, they're not. Sorry, they're playing Aston Villa, which obviously one of those wins, and then and Newcastle failed to win. The gap shrinks. So yeah, they're, they're a team that, with one bad result, they're looking straight over their shoulder again. Um, and Norwich are Norwich have, on the flip side of Newcastle. They've they've actually got a better process than Newcastle this season, and, and they deserve to be higher in the league according to expected goals. We've got them fifteenth in our expected goals table. Um, yeah, they, they've put in a good performance against Tottenham. A lot of people who watched the game said they were they were dominating for long spells. Um, but they, they, their issue is that they struggle to create big chances in matches, which is the same sort of problem that Newcastle face on a regular basis. Um, in terms of non-penalty big chances created, Norwich have created just 16 this season, Newcastle 19. So they are two of the three worst teams when it comes to creating non-penalty big chances. Um, but, yeah, that's been the same problem. Obviously, everyone tarnishes with the them with the you know quality attacking brush and the fact that they're really easy on the eye. They try to play attacking football, but they've only averaged one point one nine expected goals for per game. So what we're seeing on the pitch in, in terms of the eye tests isn't translated into the underlying numbers. Um, that's been one of the main problems this season. And defensively, they have forty seven goals conceded, and that's exactly how many they should they should have conceded based on the chances they've they've conceded. So there's been no um, you know, bad luck in, in, in that sense. Uh, but yeah, the, their misfortune, the reason why they sit bottom with only 17 points um, is, is based on the fact that teams are massively overperforming like your Newcastles. So yeah, this, this is a big game for both. I think if Norwich lose this game and, you know, and if, if Bournemouth or Aston really get a win, then all of a sudden the gap is massive um, and it's hard to make a case them to climb out of the bottom three they need to go here uh, and get the win and I think they're more than capable of doing so um, obviously you called out the game against Bournemouth they were really good in that match obviously played against 10 men for a long period after that uh, Steve Cook save uh, which got him a straight red card which was very very interesting decision from him but it, it helped Norwich out big time and they are capable of getting getting a result if, whether they will go there and get the win I'm not too sure I could see this being a quite a dull affair actually uh, between two teams that do struggle um, in attack. Yeah, like I said, the, the main value play from us is just to oppose Newcastle. Um, 61% chance of Norwich or the draw, uh, 57% on the market. So there's a bit of value in getting onside, um, even at a short price, Norwich or the draw. Gold markets seem quite high, really, for this game. Both teams to score 57% on the market, over 2.5%, 52% on the market, which... Is a surprise to see them both odds on, given um, Newcastle are quite a low-scoring team. Um, but yeah, you've got two two of the worst defenses in the league, so I wouldn't put anyone anyone off backing a both teams to score bet. But like I said, the main value play from an goal perspective is just to side with Norwich to come away from St James's Park with at least a draw. Right now, we get on to Watford versus Everton. Watford are a team that had a a mini revival, shall we call it? They had that unbeaten six-game run, but they've then lost to Villa, and I think that shows how quickly things can change. They're straight back down to second bottom. The performances have definitely improved under Pearson. I don't think anyone can argue with that. They've they've got the results that they deserve, and it's for me, it's the attacking process that stands out for where we've seen the biggest improvement. Obviously, need to shore things up at the back if they are going to get safe, but that they, they won't want to fall back into a run of poor form and. They'll have to be on their game against an Everton team who, similarly to their opponents, they, they look to have turned things around, but then they've drawn against West Ham and Newcastle. That that really halted their progress and 
we kind of talked about or we always talk about how poor West Ham are and just how bad Newcastle are so maybe that's a an insight into where Everton are at at the moment I think I think Everton will end up towards kind of top half given from what we've seen over the over the course of the season so far and I think Watford should have enough to avoid relegation obviously both will be desperate to get the win here but who do you think has the best chance of getting three points? Uh, we actually think Everton. Um, obviously, the market agrees, but we, we think that they should be a lot shorter than what the market is is putting them up at. Um, it's a really inter- It's an interesting game. You've got Watford and Everton. Since the two two new managers came in, um, Pearson and Ancelotti, they've actually got very similar underlying numbers from the games that they've they've, they've coached. Um, Pearson. 1.85 expected goals for per game. 1.46 expected goals against. Uh, Everton uh, under Ancelotti are 1.85 and 1.3. So they're very similar in terms of underlying process. And the, obviously the thing that you'll catch from that is the 1.85 expected goals for for both teams. So both teams are playing really good attacking football and creating plenty of good chances. Um, you called out Watford's six-game unbeaten run co- uh, coming to an end at Villa. They were very unfortunate to lose that game. They created enough chances to, um, to deserve the win, um, at the very least a draw from the game. And, and that, that's something that we were, like I said, seeing quite regularly now under, uh, under Nigel Pearson is, is strong attacking play. I think Troy Deeney's reintroduction and um, from injury and, and Abdoulaye Decore playing a much more advanced role is definitely helping them create. And Delafeo and Ismail Assar playing either side of, um, of, of Decore has definitely helped them score more goals than what they were doing in, in the previous two, uh, two managers' reign. So, very exciting team to watch at the minute. And, Obviously, the, the the Spurs game finished nil nil, but how it finished nil nil, I'll never know. Two point four seven expected goals for Watford and one point eight six for Spurs. So there was enough chances in that game for um, at least at least four goals. And you know, just just because it was a nil nil draw doesn't mean it was a bad game. I watched it; it was a very entertaining game. Watford, are a very physical side, and they they do play back to front very quickly. And I think that that can catch out Everton's defence here because um, they're not the most mobile. And they've been beaten by the over-the-top balls quite often this season. You only have to think back to the the Liverpool game at Anfield, where it was Van Dijk who sent a couple over the top for um, was it Origi or Mane to run onto and, and score score goals in that game. So that, that's an interesting angle to look at from a Watford perspective. Um, yeah, like, like I said, with Everton is exactly the same. They've they've been so much better to watch um, under Ancelotti from an attacking point of view. Like you said, the frustrations from the Newcastle game were absolutely understandable. 2-0 up after the, going into the 93rd minute um, and drawing 2-2 is is just something that you just can't afford to do in this um, Premier League season. And I say that because they've had a what was it, two draws in a row now and there's still only four points behind Manchester United who's hit fifth. So if they hang on to that win, then all of a sudden they're only two points behind and they're actually ninth in the table. So small margins could end up... Um, defining Everton's season in terms of where they, where they finish up. There's every chance that they could still make the top six um, based on what we've seen so far and the inconsistencies of all the teams in and around them. So they have to um, highlight these sorts of games as, as games that they need to win. Um, Dominic Calvert-Lewin has obviously been the, the main man for them since Ancelotti's come in. He scored five times in his last six league games. He's the man that Watford are going to have to stop. Um it's going to be difficult because, like I said, Everton are, are creating plenty of good chances regularly this season. So, um, yeah, the, the way we're looking at this, the angle we've got is, is goals, really. The, the fact that both teams are creating loads of chances every game and, and also conceding them leads me uh, to think that this would be an entertaining game. And over two and a half goals is, is the 
the bet with the most value in it uh, from a margin perspective. We're calculating a 60% chance of over two and a half goals. Market's at 51, so you've got 9% there. Um, and, you know, 45% chance of an Everton win, 38% chance on the market, so 7% there. So, you know, a high score in a way win is, is what the model is suggesting in terms of value anyway. Um, if you want a safer bet, both teams to score, there's also value in that. So a host of markets in which we think there's value. For some reason, the the um, you know the, the market is thinking that this might not be as high scoring as what was what Infogol's suggesting. But the way these two teams are playing, I, I can see goals in this one. Like I said, over two and a half is my favourite bet in this one. Yeah, definitely. I mean, judging by how both managers have come in and, and changed things up, they're two sides that are definitely more attacking seems strange to me as well that betters seem to be favouring the the under 2.5 it's it's one of pretty much every game on the market apart from Liverpool and Manchester City that seems very difficult to split in terms of the the 1x2 market just on on Everton kind of mentioned about Ancelotti coming in I think you've said about him pretty much just overloading the midfield with attacking players we've we've seen a a little bit of improvement, but if they need to, or if they want to get to to kind of where Manchester United are, that sixth, fifth position, do you think we need to see more of him in kind of adapting on the defensive side of the game, or are they just going to kind of persevere with that attacking style and, and hope that the results come? Um, I think if you look at the squad, there's not actually that many good defensive players there. So um, in some cases, the best form of defence is attack. I, obviously, from a neutral point of view, it's really good to see them playing open attacking expansive football um, and it's always a thrill when you look at the team lineup and he's got four attacking midfielders playing and two strikers so um, yeah I, I think I think the way that he's got them playing is the right way um, trying to pen the opposition in and, and win the ball high up the pitch with the attacking advanced players yeah I, I, I wouldn't change too much like I said it, defensively there isn't too many good players there um, Schneidlin's been out injured Delft's uh, hit and miss when he, in terms of injuries so they two holding midfielders um, I did see Andre Gomez was back in uh, in full training this week. I don't think he, I think this game will come too soon for him, but he'll be back in action. I think he'll go straight back into the first team, um, playing as a almost a the the pivot role um, in between seven strikers and two defenders. So um, yeah, the, the way they're playing, I think is is it's the only way I see them progressing up the table is, is by scoring more goals in the opposition because defensively they, they're they just not good enough to, to keep clean sheets on a regular basis. So yeah. And plus it's hugely entertaining. Right. Moving on West Ham versus Brighton. West Ham are coming into this after a huge win against Liverpool. No one expected that two, one result. It was fully yeah, deserved based on XG. I know. I'm just going to leave that there in the hope that that could come true. <laughs> um, in the all seriousness, probably five xG to nil in Liverpool. <laughs> in all seriousness, though, I think like West Ham, they've looked poor all season. The, the change of manager hasn't done much, if anything at all, for them. I think you asked me after the the first or the second game with Moyes in charge what difference there was, and still even now, I'd I'd struggle to pick anything of note out, to be honest. Brighton, meanwhile, they showed signs of promise up until around the halfway point of the season. We were very positive about what we were seeing or the the potential for them to develop further. It's, it's kind of stalled recently. They are they are an above average team in terms of their attacking process, but below average on the defensive side. And with a few games where they they haven't been too clinical and their opponents have have been better than them in front of goal, it's it's seen them drop down to fifteenth and just 
two points above the relegation zone. It's another one where we've got a, an evenly split market. West Ham are currently 2.55, which equates to just under 40% chance of the win. We said before, not much is probably going to change after the Liverpool game, but is there any value on offer in this game for you? Yeah, we we, we think there's... First of all, I want to say the 1x2 market that Infogol's um, churned out in terms of percentage chance is, is actually Pickham. So we're... 38% chance West Ham, 38% Brighton. So with home advantage for West Ham, we still can't um, split the two teams, which shows straight away, like I said, in, in one of the previous matches, that we think Brighton are the better of the two teams coming into this game. Um, yeah, that, that means that we, ba- we basically we can't split them with the home advantage, which is something I've never seen before um, on our model. <sighs> it means it's, it could be a tight game, really. Um, it is, it's a crucial game as well, looking at the league table. Obviously, Brighton, they're not in the, the best of form. No wins in, in four coming into this. 15th in the league and only two points clear of the drop zone. Um, you know, when West Ham lose 6-0 to Liverpool, they'll be in the drop zone on goal difference. So, it's a huge game in that in that regard. So, yeah, it, it, West Ham's home form is is one thing that obviously is, is really poor and it's not something that we expect to see from West Ham. Um, but just three wins in 11... Obviously, the, the most recent win coming again against Bournemouth in what was a seemingly looking more like a one-off game. But process-wise, as I've discussed with the with the Liverpool West Ham preview, West Ham they should be in the bottom three. They're nineteenth in the in Infogol's expected goals table. Their defence is is really poor. Two point one five expected goals against. Um, in terms of non-penalty big chances, they're the team that's conceded the most. Fifty-one big chances conceded, um, and that is having played a game fewer as well. So. Um, God knows what that total will be after they play in Liverpool. Um, the, 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 you know, the same problems under Pellegrini um, have basically just reoccurred again under Moyes. Sheffield United they conceded nearly two expected goals. Everton over two expected goals, over two and a half against Leicester. So they just can't seem to keep anyone out. Um, as for Brighton, they've been pretty disappointing really since Christmas break. They had a, a good win over Bournemouth a good performance against Chelsea. Um, and then it's just all sort of unravelled a little bit in terms of the process. Uh, conceding plenty of good chances in, on a regular basis too. 2.17 against Everton, um, nearly two against Bournemouth. So defensively, they are um, a very vulnerable team. They're a team that like the home comforts as well. So playing away from home is not is not what they're... Um, it's not, it doesn't suit them really in terms of Expected goals process to be allowed over two expected goals per game away from home. So they're very gettable, which leads me to think that there's going to be plenty of goals in this game um, between two teams that, that can't defend, seemingly. Uh, and that's the angle we're taking, really. 64% chance of both teams to score is what Infogol suggests based on the uh, underlying numbers. And it's 60% on the market. So there's decent value there. Even more value in over two and a half goals, 62% chance um, according to the Infogol model, 54% chance on the market. And like I've said already, 38% chance each team, um, which obviously suggests that the value lies in, in, in signing with Brighton, given that West Ham are favourites. Just what I wanted to hear, Jake. Two defeats this week. So now it's Manchester United versus Wolves and Manchester United got that 6-0 win at the weekend. They they could be on the way back. Um no disrespect to Tram Tramere, but they aren't exactly Premier League opposition, so not sure we should be reading too much into that one. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is going to be desperate for a win, despite getting the the backing of the board after that loss to Burnley. 
They've obviously lost Rashford for a prolonged period of time. Pogba's out, no sign of his return. The defensive process for them, it, it was very good at the start of the season. It's still decent, but it's it's a wonder to me kind of how they're still fifth and, and what they need to do to, to maybe improve and push on for top four. It is going to be a tough test for them against Wolves. They're a team that have been a little bit up and down. They are still in the hunt for top four again, despite being just six points behind Chelsea. But that group from, from fourth to, to eighth or ninth have been just pretty poor in comparison to the competition from previous seasons. I think the fact that it's a 14-point gap from fifth to third and a, an 11-point gap from fifth down to 19th, that pretty much sums up the, the Premier League this season. Wolves look a bit higher. The the 3.63 odds they are on Pinnacle, it's around about 27.5% chance. Is it a fair mark according to InfoGoal? Relatively, yeah. Uh, InfoGoal's pretty much in line with the market, although we're giving Wolves a little bit better chance of winning and taking some off the draw. So we've got Man United at 44% chance. Um, market's around the same. <coughs> Wolves at 30%. Yeah, th- this is a... Well, I don't know if it is a big game in the race for Europa League spot. Um, no one seems to want it. Manchester United, Spurs, Wolves, Sheffield United, Southampton, Arsenal, Crystal Palace, Everton, Burnley. All of those teams are still in, within four points of, of, of Manchester United in fifth and all of them are showing extreme inconsistencies this season, which is why um, you know, the, even Chelsea above them in, in, in fourth spot have shown massive inconsistencies. But that gap hasn't been narrowed at all because of everyone else's inconsistencies and that's that that seems to be the theme and the trend of, of the Premier League season this um, you know this 1920 season yeah we're not reading too much into that 6-0 win are we let's be honest it was a it was a good performance but having watched a game obviously Infogol doesn't cover FA Cup in terms of expected goals so but just watching the game you looked at the there were three and a up in 15 minutes and all three were from low probability strikes um, obviously Maguire's was a rifle from the edge of the box. Lingard's was also from the edge of the box. Um, probably 10% chance if, if that. So in terms of actually creating chances in that game, having watched it, um, Man United really struggled to create or did, didn't create any big chances before they, they raced into that lead, which obviously made things nice and easy for them. But prior to that, what a bad performance against Burnley. Um, you know, Obviously, the expected goals total suggest that they were unfortunate to lose. But having watched the game, there wasn't too many big chances that they created um, before conceding the first. And then after that, they just didn't create anything at all. Um, yeah, they're, they're, a, they're a funny team, Manchester United. They've shown that they, they are more than capable of, of matching it with the big boys, but they throw in too many bad results against bad teams. And, and that was one of those. Um, defensively, like you said, they've still been still pretty strong. The third best defensive team in the league, according to expected goals, 1.21 expected goals against. Um and going forward, the the attacking process isn't bad either. One point eight four, expected goals four. It it's just something that's just not right there. They they, they lost the the balance for me in the team. Obviously, Rashford being out is massive. Um, no Pogba means that there's no link up between um, midfield or defence and attack. Fred's doing his best, but he's he's very limited in, in there with Matic. They're more destroyers, um, which probably suit them in this game. And going forward now without Rashford, you've got what is looking like a you know not a weak attack, but it's not exactly one that frightens the life out of you. Um, compare that to Wolves, and you've got Adama Traore who scares every defense in the Premier League right now, and Raúl Jiménez who I think is probably the best striker, um, not playing in Liverpool or Manchester City's team. So um, yeah, it's a huge game 
um, in, in the respect of Wolves can obviously jump above Manchester United. And I think the fact that Manchester United playing a League Cup game tonight in the League Cup semi-final at the Etihad um, could have a big bearing since they've only got three days to prepare for this game. So, um, But based on underlying numbers, Manchester United and Wolves are very evenly matched. But from what we've seen recently, there's no way that, that I would tell anyone to get on side with, um, with Manchester United in this game. Um, Wolves, are, Wolves have been, or if you look at the raw form anyway, they're, they're as, as out of form as Manchester United. Man United have lost three of the last four. Wolves have lost three of the last five with just one win in that time. But, you know, their expected goal numbers in, in those five matches, they've won all four, they've won four of the five games um, according to expected goals. The only one they lost being at Anfield against Liverpool. <clears throat> discussed already when talking about Liverpool that Wolves were unfortunate to lose against them um, in, at Molyneux last week. They created much the better chances in the game and, and they were hit with a sucker punch from Roberto Firmino late on. So, fantastic performance. And their, their performances against the better teams in the league continue to be exceptional, according to expected goals. Obviously, having done the, man, the double over Manchester City already, drawn with Manchester United already early on in the season. And um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they go to Old Trafford and, and put in a really impressive display. I think on paper, Wolves have actually got the better team uh, of the two. Yeah, I'd much rather take Neves and, and Moutinho over Fred and Matic. I think they're way more creative. Um, obviously, going going forward, I've already said Adama Troy and Raul Jimenez are, um, for me, better than any <clears throat> any options that Manchester United can put on the pitch. So yeah, I'm expecting a... a a really entertaining game. I think Wolves will take it to Manchester United. There's no fear factor at Old Trafford anymore um, for opposition teams. Wolves are going to take it to them. Obviously, they're very familiar with each other, these two teams, having played in the FA Cup twice. They obviously had a replay. Um, yeah, the, it's, like I said, we've got no value uh, in the 1x2 market. If we were siding with any, any team, it would be Wolves in terms of um, small amount of value there, 56% chance of avoiding defeat. But I think that both teams will score in this match. Obviously, Manchester United have drawn blanks in three of the last four Premier League games. But based on what we're seeing in underlying numbers, they're still creating some decent chances. And um, yeah, 58% chance of both teams hitting the net, uh, 52% on the market. If you fancy more goals, over two and a half is also uh, value, flagging up as value on the InfoGoal model. It's actually odds against on the market, 46%. And InfoGoal thinks there's a 55% chance of over two and a half goals. So... Um, both teams scoring over two and a half is an interesting angle. It's landed in quite a few of Wolves' uh, most recent matches, obviously the Liverpool game, Southampton game, um, at Watford as well. So yeah, goals is, is the way uh, we're angling in this one. But like I said, this could, this could be, you know, if Manchester United get the win, it could kickstart their season and try and, and get them to kick on, especially with Leicester playing Chelsea. That could be a huge game. So the winner of this is going to potentially draw within three points of Chelsea, which makes it a big game. I'm going to put you on the spot here. I know Chelsea have got a massive advantage or, or a six-point advantage in terms of that that chase for the top four spot. I don't know if you've got them, got them to hand, but without looking at the info goal numbers, who's got the best chance out of United, Tottenham and Wolves or or any of the below of, of catching Chelsea? Hmm. Um, that is a good question. I think in terms of personal preference uh, for who I think the best team is, I think Wolves are the best team, I think the most organised team. Um, they are the team that, or they're, they're the team that play more like a team. Um, Tottenham are still finding their feet under Mourinho. I've not been impressed. Manchester United are all over the place. Um, you could put Sheffield United in that bracket, but I don't think they've got as much quality as, as Wolves. The only thing that would potentially halt Wolves in that charge is, is the Europa League. Same for Manchester United and, and, and Arsenal. 
Um, but on the flip side, they're in this position already, having played 12 Europa League games this season. Um, so, you know, the, the, it's, anything's possible. I, I think I put in an article um, last week that I actually think Wolves are a value bet to make the top uh, to, to make the top four, at the very least, the top six. So, yeah, I, like I said, I think they're the most organised. They've arguably got the better players as well than, than Manchester United and, and Tottenham. I know everyone raves about Tottenham's squad, but they just there doesn't seem to be any pattern of, of play in, in, under Mourinho. They're missing a couple of players anyway to make things uh, work. Yeah, I, I honestly think Wolves are, Wolves have got a great chance, and if they, especially if they beat Manchester United here and, and Chelsea slip up, then you start having to take serious notice. Chelsea, their season is going to be defined um, over the next couple of weeks. They've got some really big matches coming up. Um, so they, obviously, they play Leicester, then they've got Manchester United and Tottenham after that. Um, so the three three games against teams that are directly below them and above them um, is going to define Chelsea's season. Right, so we'll move on to Burnley versus Arsenal. And these are two teams, I think there's a group of five of them that are on 30 points. And these are probably the only two that actually deserve to be on that points mark based on their performances this season. Burnley, we just talked about, they put an end to what was a, a horrid run of results with, with two wins against Leicester and Manchester United. Not fully deserved, I guess, on on first glance at the numbers, but still impressive performances nonetheless. And a few games, uh, a few games of not getting anything that they potentially deserved. You have to say they they were due something in the long run, anyway. Arsenal have had a few more games of just being Arsenal. I'll call it now. Second best at home to Sheffield United. Absolutely torn apart away at Chelsea. They did get two draws out of those games and. They're still unbeaten in January, Jake. So that charge to the top four could still be on. You never know. Absolutely not. <laughs> I think I know the answer um, to this question, but is there any value in taking Arsenal to beat Burnley here? Yeah, no, there's huge surprise in your voice there. Um, <sighs> what? Yeah, honestly, I, I can't understand the the, uh, the market in this game. Like, <laughs> why are Arsenal like, almost even money to get the win in this game? Like, what have they shown so far under Mikel Arteta for that to be the case? Um, and if you want to stretch that, their away form this season is horrendous. They've won twice in twelve games, but yet they're flagged up as a, as even money shot. Um, that is, yeah, that's that's baffling to me. I, I don't quite understand that. And Imtical model takes it to an even greater extreme by saying that Burnley should be really short favourites for this game. Um, they're they're twenty five percent on the market, and Imtical's giving them a forty one percent chance of getting the win. So we make them strong favourites um, to get the three points um, at, at Turf Moor. You've said that. Burnley have been on a pretty poor run of form. It's four straight defeats and they've reeled off two big wins against Leicester and Manchester United, two teams that sit fifth and sixth in our expected goal table. And playing against Arsenal, who are 11th in our expected goal table, will be you know, not going to be a really scare factor at all after those results, especially having gone to Old Trafford and got the win as well. So, um, yeah, they're, they're, Burnley haven't had a draw in 17 games which is in the league, which is a staggering number. And Arsenal have drawn pretty, pretty much, um, you know, every game under Arteta apart from two. So, um, yeah, this there's just two random facts for you, there, which I thought was really incredible. We look at Arsenal's total form, and there's so many draws in that, um, this season for Arsenal, which is the main reason they've been held back. Twelve draws in 24 matches. You know, it, sometimes better to lose two and win one out of three than draw three. Or, but, um, you know, I suppose they're showing consistency, and and a lot of people were saying they were showing fight from the Chelsea game, which 
it's true. You know, they dug in there, but they dug in there and conceded three and a half expected goals. So, um, in terms of a defensive performance, it was a shambles, really. They conceded big chances on a regular basis and um, only a Kante slip let them back into the game. Um, yeah, I don't think quite understand that either. The the rave reviews that Martinelli was getting for his run, he actually lost the ball um, if Kante doesn't doesn't fall over. So, um, yeah, I don't, I'm not quite sure why I'm raving about that. But Yeah, I think Burnley are really well set up to cause Arsenal some serious problems here. Um, obviously, we saw Chris Wood and Jay Rodriguez playing against Harry Maguire um, and I think it was, was it Phil Jones or Lindelof last week. Um, and they bullied them, really. And you know, Arsenal's defenders are much softer than, than those two. So um, they could have a field day, Chris Wood and, and, and Rodriguez, um, or even Barnes if he's back fit. Um, and Burnley come into this game sitting one place higher in the expected goals table than Arsenal. So, um, you know, this is a fair, fairly even matchup, really. And in terms of process, the two teams are very, very similar also. 1.38 expected goals for per game, 1.55 against for Burnley. Um, Arsenal 1.46, 1.57. So the two teams conceding decent, uh, uh, good chances, but also creating them. Um, I would say the one thing that's been disappointing for me anyway, from uh, an Arsenal perspective since Arteta came in, is their attacking process. It's been um, non-existent really in terms of um, their chance creation. Last three matches, 1.51 away at Crystal Palace, 1.22 against Sheffield United, 0.56 against Chelsea. It's... Um, yeah, that isn't what you'd expect to see from Arsenal. Um, and, you know, well, I guess it is nowadays. This is exactly what you expect to see. They've been doing it for uh, long enough now. And um, defensively, they hadn't been too bad up to the up to the Chelsea game, but still they were finding a way to concede goals, which is, is, is vintage Arsenal. Um, yeah, that... I'm not, I'm not, I've not been impressed at all with, with what I've seen from Arteta. There's, there's been more hustle and bustle from from his players, they've been working harder, um, but the quality is not there. Their midfield is still um, is still pretty weak in my perspective. Um, not in terms of physical stature, but more in terms of um, actual ability in, in progressing the football. Um, you know, I think Burnley's directness is going to cause Arsenal all sorts of problems in this game. They're going to—I wouldn't be surprised if Burnley scored a couple from set pieces. Um, yeah. It, it's a really it's a it's a tough game to call from a um, obviously looking at it without the Infocom model's help in terms of the two teams are pretty evenly matched when you look at just the raw table itself. So um, yeah, like I said, with the home advantage as well, we make Burnley comfortable favourites to get the win, forty one percent chance, and you know, we also think there's going to be a fair amount of goals, but both teams to score fifty seven percent chance uh, over two and a half fifty four percent. So we're expecting. Goals, um, yeah. If you want a safer bet, Burnley or the draw is is um, is still a huge amount of value as well. We're giving a sixty seven percent chance that they avoid defeat compared to fifty two on the market. So, yeah, just, I can't can't get on board with Arsenal away from home at that price. Right now we've got Tottenham versus Manchester City, our, our final game of the weekend. I'm, personally speaking, I can't believe that, that Tottenham are still within a chance of securing a top four spot after we, what we've seen from them this season. I know we talked... Yeah, I mean, it's the North London curse, it must be. Um, we we talked about like the inconsistencies of the teams above them, but for Spurs, it's it's over a year now. The warning signs were there when they stumbled to the top four in the second half of last season somehow managed to make it to the Champions League final. I don't think there was much that Pochettino could have done. 
Jose Mourinho certainly hasn't done much since he came in. He's got this label of being able to shore up a team, make them defensively sound. We're yet to see it. And I mean, they're going to hope that gets sorted soon because they're coming up what, coming up against what is probably the best attacking team in world soccer this weekend. Almost 70 expected goals after 24 games for Manchester City. They are a little bit behind in terms of the actual goals they've scored, but they're still on for another 100 goal season if they rack up a few big wins between now and the end of May. You don't win a Premier League trophy trophy based on goals or expected goals, and it's the defence that's been Manchester City's downfall. You've mentioned it plenty of times on the podcast that they give away these big chances, and you just you can't give away big chances on a regular basis and and hope to keep pace with a team as good as Liverpool. City are a heavy favourites on the road, sixty two percent chance of victory. It's not really surprising. Given how we know Mourinho likes to play these games, I said we haven't seen much of it before. Maybe that defensive stability might come out. Is there anything that jumps out in terms of the goal markets for you? Um, a little bit, yeah. I'm just wondering where he's pulling this defensive solidity from with the players that he's got there. Um, they've tried it against, uh, obviously, Liverpool was the, the last time they tried it and they were absolutely shredded for the first half. Um, I can see something exactly the same happening here. I think Manchester City will race into a fast lead. Tottenham, for me, they're lacking players of quality in midfield and defence. I think they're lacking a focal point up front. There's rumours that Olivier Giroud is going to be brought in or Piontek from AC Milan. That would help them, I think. Whether they can get that deal over the line for them to play in this game is another question. But, yeah, what we've seen under Jose Mourinho has been far from impressive. In fact, if Pochettino was still in charge, I think it would have been the same sort of results. Uh yeah, the squad need to turn over, I think. And process-wise, they are, they've been really poor. It's another team like Arsenal and, uh, and well, I say Manchester United's process has been good. But like Arsenal, Spurs have just been very, very fortunate this season. They, they sit 14th in our expected goals table, but somehow are sixth and, and are only six points off top six, uh, top four. So um, they've rode the look big time. Their process is... is Negative 1.46 expected goals for 1.52 against. Um, that's probably only going to get worse after this game this this weekend. And going forward, they've really struggled to create since um, Harry Kane's injury, uh, or even before that. <coughs> um, obviously, against against Watford, they created a couple of decent chances, um, and against Norwich. But you know, the, the Norwich ones were from lucky breaks. The obviously the winner come from a deflected cross that's looped over the goalkeeper and given Son an open net header. Um, so you know a lot of things have gone in their favour in recent matches, but still their actual form is is boring. Defensively, they're still conceding a load of chances. Obviously, Watford were a team that racked up nearly two and a half expected goals against them. Norwich put nearly one and a half. So yeah, it's really hard to um, make any keeping Manchester City out in this match. Um, given what we've seen in attack recently from Tottenham, I'm, I'm not expecting them to trouble Man City too much. Really. You know, Manchester City kept a rare clean sheet for them anyway. This uh, last time out against Sheffield United, it was a deserved clean sheet. They absolutely hammered Sheffield United and should have won by a bigger margin. Um, and was it a coincidence that that was Zamerit Laporte's first game back? Maybe, maybe not. Um, but you know, he, he makes a massive difference to that team. Um, it gives them more balance. Obviously, playing with a left footer at left centre half and a right footer at right centre half. Um, for whatever reason, I think he must be a, a, a big leader in and around the team. Um, he gets them m- much better organised defensively and it obviously allows Fernandinho to step into that holding field role, which he does so well. 
Um, and if anything, they get they are stronger now than than they were uh, last month, really, because they've got the best centre half back. So, if I was looking at this game, I, I personally think it's going to be a comfortable Manchester City win. I think that it's they'll they will make light work of Spurs. Um, I think they'll deal with them better than uh, than Liverpool did. Obviously, Liverpool were hanging on towards the end. I can see this being a much more comfortable victory for Manchester City than that. So. Yeah, the, the goals markets are high. 69% chance of over two and a half goals. 64% chance of both teams to score. Um, the Infocom model says 59% both teams to score. And, you know, in terms of a value play, backing against both teams to score is probably the way i go in this one. I think Spurs will struggle to to break Man City down. I know, I know they don't keep too many clean sheets through Manchester City, but, you know, what, what we saw last weekend against Sheffield United, Laporte coming back in and making a big difference, could easily do the same here. And Tottenham have been... Um, really easy to deal with for the big teams um, from an attacking standpoint anyway. So, yeah, Manchester City win to nil is, is an outside bet at just over um, two to one that I do quite like. Um, from a 1x2, 58% chance Man City get the win, 62% on the market. So we're, we're not too far away. And for me, there's not enough value in there to be back in Tottenham or the draw. Um, so, yeah, I think it's going to be another tough day for Tottenham and another another game in which they perhaps fall behind um, some of their competitors in that race for the top four slash top six race. Well, that does bring an end to the fixtures for the week, not long before the action gets underway. And we'll be back again next week with another round of matches to analyse. Thanks for your time as always, Jake. I appreciate you sharing some of that info goal insight and I'm sure our listeners will be grateful as well. Thanks to everyone for listening. If you do want more information on InfoGoal, then visit InfoGoal.net, follow at InfoGoal app on Twitter, and you can download the app on iTunes and Android. You'll find all the latest odds for Game Week 25 of the Premier League on Pinnacle.com. Best of luck with any bets, and remember to please gamble responsibly.